I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What's the atmosphere like at the minute? Because is it Tuesday? You guys have the election. Yeah, it's very... Um... It's very tense, for sure. Yeah, America's not doing so hot right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, like, a lot of people are not exactly social distancing, and, you know, some people are really stupid and refuse to wear masks and stuff like that. I don't know. The atmosphere is pretty tense, for sure. Where, where I'm at, it's, it's pretty chill. Austin has, like, everybody is pretty like-minded here, so it's not that bad where I'm at. Yeah, it's kind of, I think I heard someone describe it the other day as the, the blueberry in the tomato soup of Texas. Yeah, yeah, that's that's funny. Yeah, no, that's actually exactly how it is. Yeah, it's like the one liberal place in Texas, pretty much, except for maybe Dallas. Have you always lived there? Did you grow up there and stuff? Yeah, yeah, I grew up here in Austin, so I've been here all my life. What was your your early exposure then to stuff that you would kind of define as house music like there? Is it quite a prevalent thing? or No, actually, house music isn't prevalent here at all. I, I got into house and, and lo-fi music just through the internet and, and, you know, like growing up with other musicians, you know, we always kind of share what we listen to and, and stuff like that. But the electronic scene here isn't isn't that big, really. It's mostly, I mean, especially now, you know, because people aren't playing shows, but Back when I was in bands, it was mostly indie rock. A lot of indie rock, a lot of punk, a lot of metal, and uh, like singer-songwriter type stuff. But there was never like house shows, really. Except for like some bars would throw like an 80s, you know, electronic night or some shit like that. But other than that, it has it's not a big scene here. How old were you when you discovered it through the internet? Well, I started DJ Poolboy a little over two years ago. I mean, I've always listened to electronic music, but I was never into the lo-fi scene in regards to house or or hip-hop or uh, any other type of lo-fi 
atmospheric music. So I'd say it was probably about three, three to four years ago is when I really started to get into that stuff. So were you still kind of getting more into it when DJ Poolboy started? Were your taste still developing when it came to house music at that point? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I've always listened to like club music, more standard like electronic, like pop and stuff. But as far as like the underground, I think like lo-fi house really started popping off with like DJ Boring and Ross from Friends and DJ Seinfeld. And, you know, when all those tracks started blowing up a few years ago, when it started to get into the public eye is kind of when I discovered it. And I thought that it was like so sick. Yeah, it's got that kind of on the one hand, it's that retro kind of house thing, but it also feels like it's looking forward and it's kind of doing something a little bit different with it. Yeah, yeah. And that's uh, that's what I like a lot in art and music and film just in general is like uh, like any sort of juxtaposition. I really dig because it's like uh, it's not just one emotion. There's multiple emotions going on. So like if there's like a house beat that's really up tempo but has like some melancholy chords on it you know it's like two different vibes going on uh, which is really sick which is you know why i like the the lo-fi stuff because it kind of feels like it's a throwback but it's also doing something new at the same time so i think it's pretty cool it's interesting what you're saying there about that like that juxtaposition of emotions because you can really hear that and on the record like if you think of something like the opener, for instance, you know, like we were the last two people on earth, you open on these kind of quite bright chords. Yeah. And then it kind of, as it develops, it turns into a more melancholic affair. Yeah, that's never, it's not something that I like actively think about, you know, just the way I write. I never, I can never just like sit down and have an idea in my head and like fully flesh it out. I kind of just sit down and I end up just writing something in the moment and then I think about it later. And they, it always tends to be, I just gravitate towards bright sounds with kind of mellow vibes at the same time, you know. I'm interested as well, as your tastes, you know, we're speaking about kind of getting into house music, as your tastes have progressed, how has that influenced what you've been making and how have you kind of noticed that impact what you've been writing? There's been like a natural progression to, well, not just like my taste in general, but also just you know my production just because the more i make you know the more i want to do something new with my production and stuff so i've been playing around with um you know still trying staying true to my own like dj pool boy sound but also trying to like move forward and progress it in a way that is um just just improving my sound and and trying different genres so so the stuff that I'm writing now is is all over the place because I listen to all different kinds of music. So I didn't want to just pin myself down with one type of lo-fi house sound. So I'm throwing in like R&B and uh, like trap uh, as well as like piano instrumentals and just kind of going all over the place. When you do that and you kind of mix in those other genres, are you able to get a kind of clearer idea of the elements of the lo-fi side of your sound that are the makes it what it is and the kind of core elements of it that make it so strong yeah for sure like even with the new genres i think it's pretty easy to tell that like oh this is a dj pool boy track because the way that i produce and the way that i write it always comes from like the same place even if i'm trying to do something different it always still has those elements that are that i i tend to stick with you know so there's always that kind of lo-fi vibe 
that kind of same nostalgic feeling to everything is that because are you tapping into memory quite a lot when you're writing like when you're working on a track are you trying to channel an emotion from a specific point in your life or is it kind of just what you're feeling in that moment i think it's subconscious it's it's never like an intentional thing but like you know like a few days later i can go back and listen to the track like listen and like you know i i usually come up with the title at the same time that i'm writing because i just like have an image in my head of kind of like a storyline or like a progression that goes along with the the keys and stuff so I, I can go back a few days later and listen back and be like oh okay like that makes sense because that's how i was feeling at that time even though i didn't know it i mean i love the title of the music you always pick such a kind of specific phrase that's so evocative and you, using a few words you kind of you encapsulate the entire like emotional trajectory of the track into the title yeah, thanks. Yeah, I've always liked um, interesting titles, especially with the earlier stuff, because they were instrumental. I really wanted a title that was vague enough that people can identify with it, but also give meaning to the chords in a specific way. I've kind of always just gravitated towards those types of titles since I started writing. When did the lowercase thing come into the picture as well? It kind of just gives that another layer of intimacy. It's almost like a text message. That came later. Um, initially, I, I changed it um, because it used to just be standard casing, but I felt the lowercase was just a vibe, you know? <laughs> and uh, I really like minimalism in, in certain cases, you know, in certain places. And I thought that the lowercase kind of matched the uh, lo-fi aesthetic as far as the the sounds yeah i mean it kind of pairs in with the videos as well when you think of them and that kind of home footage styling of them it's kind of it's another power. yeah yeah for sure and i think it's um it's just something that i did it's it's i think there's something to be said about being like simple sometimes you know or being not trying too hard you know just <laughs> just because it makes it more raw and and honest you know if you just put yourself out there so that's kind of the approach that I take to the music. I don't try to take it too seriously. I just try to make it as honest as possible. At what point did you come to that realization? You know, that maybe leaving things a little bit more raw could be more effective. Was it something that was always there present from the beginning or was it something you kind of learned with time? I've always kind of compared myself to, to other people in, in many respects. And sometimes I, you know, like I'll listen to, a, you know, like a top number one track, like a, like a Beyonce track or a Jay-Z track. And I'll be like, damn, the production on this is like insane. You know, I compare like my own productions to that, you know, but it's like those people, you know, they have access to so many other engineers and equipment and stuff like that. So it's kind of, it's kind of wrong to compare yourself in that way. And then once I realized that, I just felt like, you know, who cares like how good like my production is? If I like the song, you know, then, then, you know, I don't need to think about like how polished it is or anything. Like if, if it sounds good lo-fi, then it sounds good either way. Sometimes you can overproduce. So I just decided to start putting stuff out there and really focus on more of the emotion as opposed to uh, how quality the production is really. <laughs> Where are you making a lot of your stuff? What's your kind of setup like? Right now, I, I make everything in Reason. I write everything just on like my MIDI keyboard. I've been playing a lot of piano recently, so I tend to just, you know, write in the beats and then play chords along to it and then go from there. And then I, I also have like some other equipment, like a Roland SP404 uh, that I haven't really 
messed around with too much yet but now with quarantine i have a lot of time to kind of fuck around with beats and stuff like that but then i also have like um a ddj you know to practice the dj stuff but really i write everything through the midi keyboard with reason is it always a solitary process are you always writing on your own or do you ever work with other people uh recently i've been working with a lot of other people it used to be completely solitary it was it was like i would write everything at uh, two in the morning like laying in my bed you know what i mean um but recently with i'm working on a bunch of new tracks for a new album and uh, i'm working with a lot of vocalists um so there's going to be a lot of different features on these next releases so they're not there will still be some of those uh, dj Poolboy instrumentals but there's going to be a lot more focus on collabs I mean, obviously, the, when we speak about the soundscape and stuff, the kind of emotion of it is in that instrumental stuff. How does bringing in a vocal and putting that onto it affect the kind of the emotion of the track and the emotion of the sound that you've kind of developed over these last few years? It's interesting because, you know, I mean, I, I specifically choose people that I think will fit well with the instrumental that I've chosen. But, you know, working with other people, it's just like a completely different ballgame because, you know, they bring their own style and their own feeling and emotion into it. Like on some of these tracks, you know, I sent them an instrumental and uh, the vocals that I got back totally changed, were like not what I had imagined initially. But after listening to it a couple of times, I like fell in love with it because they put their own spin on it and it made something new that I wouldn't have done on my own, which I think is really dope. Yeah, it just gives you another angle. It's almost like bringing in the listener, like you kind of get a sense of someone else's perception of it and then you can kind of develop it more through that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's great. I love working with other people. I mean, yeah, yeah. It just brings another perspective and you create something new that you initially wouldn't have done on your own. It also makes my job easier because I'm not doing everything by myself. So that's cool. (laughs) Yeah, no, I love working with other people, but it's nice to have the option of, you know, this is my own solo project. So if I ever want to do just my own thing then you know i can just do that so it's really cool to have the option to work with people or just do my own thing how did that work for the moby remix as well because you did that was it lunar plane you did that with uh no the the uh moby remix was just uh myself yeah they did their own uh, moby sent out the track to several people for them the remix and i was one of the people that uh remixed the track so did he just kind of handpick a few arts that he was into and get in touch or I guess, yeah. So I got a manager when I started doing Pool Boy full-time as, as my career. He, he kind of manages, he deals with all of the uh, incoming emails and stuff like that in regards to remixes. And, and I've had a lot of people that I'm surprised that have reached out. And uh, yeah, he just called me one day and said, hey, do you want to remix a Moby track? And I was like, uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> so it's 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 weird like you know it's you'd be surprised like the people that you can get in contact with just through email and uh it's like people that i never thought that uh would ever respond to me you know we're now like working together and, and talking it's it's really it's really cool what did you first latch on to when you heard that moby song when you kind of came to working on the remix of it what were the things that stuck out to you in that mix i it was interesting i didn't expect it to have already have like a four four kind of a house beat you know with the bumping bass initially i latched on to that because i was like okay this is interesting i didn't expect moby to kind of do this electronic type of thing and i I liked the pads that he used and i wanted to take out because he used like this rolling piano a lot in the beginning so i wanted to take out the piano and then just have like kind of slow it down a bit and have the pads with a more house kind of lo-fi thumping bass beat 
behind it to give it some more atmosphere. And then I just kind of wanted to open it up a little bit and give it my own type of interpretation on it. It was it was interesting. Yeah, no, it was it was a great track. I was surprised. Got wonderful vocal on that track. Yeah, and I didn't know that it was a cover as well. Really? Yeah, it's a cover of um Roxy music, I think. Yeah, I was surprised. I thought it was an original. It's almost like the inverse of what we were speaking about. You know, when you get someone else into like lay a vocal on something and it kind of changes your perception of it. It's the same. You're kind of twisting that song or his version of it in a, in a different way. You're kind of it's like you're occupying their role. Yeah, it's like, the, you know, those are kind of like the three different work environments that I've been that I've been under recently, you know, because like writing on your own is one thing, you know, it's like one type of creativity. And then writing with someone else is like a completely different avenue. You know, it takes like different types of skills or like using different parts of your brain, you know, to collaborate. And then remixes are a totally different thing because you're already working with what somebody has done and you're putting your own spin on it. So it's it's three different types of like of the creative process that I've been I've been doing recently. Do they all feed into each other in any way? Like can you learn things from one of those one of those sides that can you can then kind of use on another? Yeah. Sorry. I needed my iced coffee. Sorry, I'm drinking as well through <laughs> need to keep hydrated on a podcast. I gotta wake up. I, I've been having crazy insomnia lately. I, I, I like power napped for thirty minutes and that's about the sleep that I'm running on right now. What does that do to your headspace? That must be like Oh man, I'm all over the place. Yeah, just uh it's it's my sleep is so inconsistent, which makes like my productivity inconsistent. You know, it, when I'm up in the morning and drinking coffee, that's like the most productive and that's when I feel the best. But sometimes I don't go to bed until the sun comes up and that kind of screws everything up for a couple of days. Because you can't sleep or because you're working on a, a piece and you kind of just get lost in it? Um, no, because I can't sleep. Normally, if I work on something and nothing happens for like an hour and a half or two hours, you know, I just have like writer's block and can't go anywhere then I just have to give it up for a day, you know, because I don't know, the way I write, it's it's very sporadic. Like I can um, sit down and knock out a whole track in like just a few hours, you know, or get at least like get the idea of the track pretty much done and then worry about the mixing later. It's e- it's either that or, or I spend like three hours and I just like hate everything that I come up with and I got to like put it down and, and come back to it later. Yeah, I feel you. I'm the same with my writing and stuff. And I think when you initially come to that realization, it's, it's a bit of a tough pill to swallow. Like it can be hard to eventually accept that you just need to stop sometimes and you're not going to be able to write that day. No, yeah, totally. Because I've been doing, I've been playing music for so long and writing music for you know most of my life long before dj pool boy started i've kind of i've come to the realization that you just gotta it's just it comes with the territory everybody gets writer's block from time to time you know and it, it used to get me really down like i'd be like oh man i really suck like i can't write anything you know like i should just give this up <laughs> but uh you just gotta power through just be like all right you know like i can't write anything right now I'll just put it down take a break and then you know like the next day you'll write something that you're really happy with so you just gotta remember to not get too down when that happens has going full-time had any impact on writer's block? Have you noticed that have any effect on it in any way? Yeah, it's um, it has because I started doing this because it's just like my passion, you know? Like I, I love music and I love writing and I just had to do it, you know? Otherwise I would go crazy. Now, you know, it, it, it turns from just being your passion to being a job, you know? 
and I'm not complaining in any way because I'm get to do what I love, you know, for, for a career, which is everything that I ever wanted. But sometimes, you know, you, you sit down and you, and you really feel like you're kind of grinding on it and it becomes work instead of just doing it because it's, it's what you love to do. If that makes sense, especially when you're working, um, if you're commissioned for like a remix and you have to get it done by a certain deadline, you know, then then it, you really have to kind of change your creative process in a way to get the track done. Yeah, it's that weird kind of pressure that wants, I know, I mean, I remember we were saying at the start, this kind of started as a small side project thing. And to go from that to it then being full time, it's a weird kind of, there's a lot of business stuff you've got to deal with when that happens that can be frustrating, I guess. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, the music industry is completely... Um, I don't, am I allowed to curse? Go for it, man. Is that like... Go for it. Okay. Yeah, I've been trying to hold back. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, the music industry is completely fucked. Dude, it sucks. It's, um, you know, just like so many people trying to fuck each other over and, you know, all these contracts and, and, and shit like that. You know, w- once you really get into it, you realize like how much bullshit there is the music industry or really like most artistic industries, you know. Some people just aren't genuine people and they just want to squeeze as much money out of you as possible and they don't care about the music or whatever. So, yeah, so it's it's a big change to go from, you know, like making music in your living room or in your bedroom in the middle of the night, you know, from going to that to dealing with like all the bureaucracy and all that, all that shit that comes with the territory. It's uh it's a learning experience for sure. How do you know who to trust? Are there so many kind of sharks swimming about? I have a team now behind me, you know. My manager is, he's always got my back. And I, I run everything by him. Everything goes through him before it, it even reaches me. So he knows, like, if someone's trying to screw me with a bad deal or a bad contract. Or, so it's, it's nice having people that have your back. I've been lucky enough to work with a lot of people that I admire. I've I've learned a lot myself just, you know, since going full time and and trying to do this as a as a career and make something out of it. So, you know, you learn the ropes. It's just like you're kind of at first you they kind of throw you to the wolves and you got to learn really quick. Yeah. I feel like if you can get through that though, once you get past that kind of initial horrible part and like you see, yeah. you get that team and you get that team around you you feel a little bit more secure yeah exactly and um no no yeah no that's exactly right and you just gotta you gotta stand up for yourself you know don't let people bully you and uh once you start making a name for yourself then you have a lot more room to work with you know you 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 know what to look out for do you ever have to make compromises or is it pretty have you got quite a good kind of control of it now then like you say when you've kind of made a little bit of a name for yourself and there's a bit of trust in the the moniker there are compromises it 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 depends if i'm releasing something myself like uh these next couple tracks that i'm gonna put out and i'm just putting it out on my own so that gives me full 100 percent ownership and creativity over over what I want to do with the track and how I want to release it, how I want to present it and all that kind of stuff. Uh, when you add other people into the mix, there's definitely compromises that you have to make, especially when dealing with a label, you know, because they, they're they investing in you, you know? So there are things that they want out of you to make sure that they get their investment back. Like, like on Majestic Casual release that I put out, you know, uh, there were some disagreements about like album art 
stuff like that, you know, little things that, you know, you're just like, okay, that's fine. We can change it. You know, that's I'll compromise on that. When it, when it comes to the music itself, that's where I don't compromise unless it's a remix because, you know, I'm hired by somebody and I want to make sure that they're happy with the track. So on remixes, I do change quite a bit when asked. I feel like the thing with Majestic Casual is that though they do seem like people or a label who come from a place of love and music. Like they kind of started up as a YouTube oh. thing, didn't they? Oh yeah, no, Majestic Casual, they're amazing. Yeah, and it was always a dream of mine to be on Majestic Casual. Just um, ever since, you know, they started popping off when I was in high school. I, I like loved their YouTube channel so much and just all the chill electronic music. I was like, man, I hope one day that they'll put one of my tracks up you know and i tried for many years under different names and they never did because probably because my music was shit but uh but uh yeah i mean i remember the day they reached out to me this was long before i had a manager i you know was still i think i was waiting tables at the time or i was working at a gas station i can't remember but yeah i got a message and they were like we love this song you know and that kind of started my whole partnership with majestic casual and it was it was awesome I mean, yeah, it was a great experience. What was the first song? What was that song they, they picked up on? Uh, the first one that they picked up on was Like We Were The Last Two People. So I signed a contract with them to put that song out. I had so many demos for that album. And uh, so I showed them the demos and then we just went from there and decided they, they wanted to go from just releasing singles to being like, to having a label, you know, the Majestic Casual label they wanted to start putting albums out and then so yeah i signed on with them to put out an album and uh it's been a it's been a crazy ride ever since then how how did those tracks you know first begin to kind of coalesce and come together as eight songs to form the album did you have them all written or did some kind of build off of each other that album was interesting because i was in a weird place i had just split up with my girlfriend of four we were together for four years it was, it was a very serious relationship, but we ended up splitting up. And then so I got this really shitty apartment, like one of the shittiest places in Austin. And it was just like, uh, it's just a very small room. I like shared a bathroom with the apartment next to me. I would just like go to work and then I would come back and I would just write constantly. And I think I wrote that whole album in, in uh, just a few months of just you know being alone and being in a in a kind of bad place and that's where songs like don't be so hard on yourself come from because i was trying to remind myself to not be so critical and take take certain things that i had done wrong and and learn from them and then just continue to grow instead of trying to wallow in my own kind of sadness you know yeah. i mean a lot of that record is rooted in that melancholy and you can really get a sense of what you're saying there about the relationship and you can feel that carrying into it could the music offer an escape for you when you're writing at that time it was so rooted in that that kind of pain oh yeah it was i mean it it, it really saved me i mean without the music and at that time i had just started going through a very serious depression i had just gone to the uh well i went to inpatient treatment for for a week for depression so I was in a hospital for a week and then I when I got out you know I, I started getting on antidepressants and if it wasn't for the music I would have just like spiraled even harder you know yeah w w without the music I, I would have gone crazy so it was a huge 
part of my therapy, you know, getting out of that, that hole that I had kind of dug for myself. Almost gave you something to kind of center yourself around. Yeah, no, for sure. And it was definitely, um, I mean, it was therapeutic, but it was also just something, it was something to do. It was like part of a routine, you know, I like really needed a routine and, and to kind of get back on track. It was just so cathartic being able to sit down and just write some piano, you know, and, and make a beat and feel happy about it, you know. When were these songs written? How long ago was that? That was a couple of years ago because it took a it took a long time for it to actually be released because there's just so much that goes into promoting an album and you know like getting it mastered and you know fixing the mixes and all that kind of stuff so it was probably it was probably released a year after I had already given it to Majestic no I was just trying to work at the time frame in my mind because if you think yeah it makes more sense like when you think like when we were the last people on earth came out on Majestic as the single with the video and stuff, it, the time frame kind of lines up a little bit more. Yeah. At, at what point as well did you gain a, kind of a sense of that visual aesthetic that you wanted for it? Like, if we think about that video. Well, that video, it came from a song by an artist who goes by Shango, and they had made that video. Because I had done a, a couple videos before that that had the, the lo-fi VHS aesthetic for like We Can Be Happy and a track called Leave Here. Leave Here is like the kind of full-on VHS one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just straight up like from the 90s VHS tape. I had always really liked a film aesthetic, a VHS aesthetic. Like I used to do photography in high school and I really liked like the 35 millimeter black and white with the grainy kind of textures, you know, I really like texture and images and I like texture and music. And I think that VHS, uh, Super 8 millimeter film, they just have so much character because it feels, it, you know, it, it gives it a, an analog feel to it that isn't digital or oversaturated with filters and stuff like that. It's just kind of raw. And I felt that that kind of rawness really mixed well with the uh the music itself yeah for sure i think when you think about the music as well what we were speaking about with the production earlier and sometimes going for that more lo-fi thing and adding in noise and stuff like that it kind of just helps to make the whole thing feel quite cohesive and whole and like one kind of thought like through the music and the visuals and then even into the song titles and stuff when it comes back to that the rawness of the kind of just lowercase and everything all just kind of links up and connects and informs this one whole yeah, no, exactly. And I, I've always really liked, I don't want to say ASMR, but I really like atmospheric music. And I really like little things that can be heard in certain recordings, like the creaking of the pianist's chair, you know, or the creaking of the pedals as he puts down, you know, just like little slight sounds that make it feel like you're kind of present in the room while they're playing and just adds like more texture and life to a track. So I've always been drawn to that. Are you constantly on alert for them when you're kind of recording? Like kind of listening out for those little things that you can work in and just add a little bit more texture? Sometimes it, you know, it, it depends on the track because it's, I mean, it's definitely not always necessary, especially when you're doing like a pop track or something that needs to be clean. You know, you, you, you don't always want that approach, but 
sometimes I go in with that idea in mind. Like I really want it to feel like there's a lot of texture in the track. And that's kind of what I started doing with the Majestic album. A lot of those tracks I wanted to use like real life noises and, and Foley, a lot of Foley and a lot of textures and a lot of like Foley sounds for, for snare and, and, and stuff like that to, to give it a, a lot more atmosphere and room. Was that the same with some of the little like vocal samples? Like, what's the vocal sample in "It's All Right Now" from? Where did that come from? What is that sound? The vocal sample from "It's All Right Now" I think came from it was it was just like in a in a sample pack that I had. It was a woman singing like a line or something, and I had chopped it up and you know added a lot of reverb and and that chorus you know some echo and stuff like that to really kind of fill it out and i think i had to pitch it uh, pitched it to make sure that it was in key with my the track and i think for most of those that's that's what i did on on that album i took little just little bits of different vocal chops and kind of cut them up and fit them in the track kind of gives that a little bit of a sense of mystery as well yeah and i especially for those you know i i wanted to make give it more of a vibe instead of words. Like sometimes I like when you can't really hear what the singer is, is saying because it, it kind of gives you your own interpretation of it. And it's, sometimes it's more about the melody and the feeling as opposed to the lyrics. And that's for that album, that's what I, I was going on vibes and feeling as opposed to vocals and words. Yeah. Are you into Disclosure at all? You know, the, the British band? I don't. I don't think I know them. I might have heard some stuff, but I can't. I can't recall. Worth checking out. There's a a song on their first record called "When a Fire Starts to Burn," and it samples at the audio of a preacher, and it kind of has this quite simple phrase. But then the end of it is just complete gibberish. Like they just kind of chop it up. And you you kind of left trying to work out what it is. Is that the track that's like "When a Fire Starts to Burn"? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, no, I know that one. That track is fire. Yeah, just that, like you say, just adding that little bit of of gibberish at the end and you're kind of left there on your own like imparting your own thing onto it and trying to work out what it means and it just it makes it a little bit more personal for the listener yeah and that's what i'm uh, uh, an artist that i really like that first got me into the 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 texture and the foley sound they were one of the first electronic groups that i got into that were really doing that big back when i was in high school is um mount kimby oh beautiful and, band yeah beautiful band they use a lot of foley and especially in the the first couple tracks that I heard by them, uh, like Before I Move Off and Carbonated, those tracks that they take the sample and they cut it up in such a way that it's like, I have no idea what the words are, or if they even are words. A lot of times they just take the vowels, you know, the vowels sounds and, and string them together and chop them up to create like a really cool vibe. So that's 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 something that I drew a lot of inspiration from for sure over the over the years. Yeah, it's like just taking something and kind of smashing it to pieces and building something new out of it. Yeah, exactly, and that's the beauty of sampling—just taking something that exists and then totally changing it in a way that's unrecognizable but unique to your own feeling and vibe. I mean, when it came to the the record as well, did you have in your mind a ballpark of like textures and sounds that you were going to play with, and that to kind of keep it with that cohesive feel, or was that very more of a free flowing thing? And you just went where it felt right. It was kind of, well, it was new for my production style because I had never tried to make, I think this, that album was a lot cleaner than what I was making before. The earlier stuff was like very lo-fi and I wanted brighter sounds on that record and kind of not so much like less reverb, but just a little bit 
brighter, cleaner, not so not so muddy, you know. And I also I had just bought a um a Tascam uh, field recorder. I was really experimenting with you know recording sounds with the Tascam, chopping it, sampling it, and creating textures and different sounds and hits and stuff like that. So that was it was kind of like a process of evolution because. I don't I don't want to just keep making the same track over and over. So with that record, I was it was kind of just like a learning experience and, you know, making something new that I was vibing with at the time. Do you carry that recorder everywhere you go now? Uh, I lost it. <laughs> oh, man. I know. Oh, God. No, I've been beating myself up about it. But uh, no, I, I did carry it around with me everywhere until I lost it. And it became an obsession of mine. So it was probably, I looked like, I probably looked like a fucking weirdo. I would just like walk down the road with my headphones and a recorder, you know, <laughs> like reco- recording myself, like walking on leaves and shit. So, but yeah, I got really, I, I, I hit that really hard. It's interesting what you were saying there about, you know, you want in the album, the album sounded a bit more cleaner and how the older stuff used to be super lo-fi. It, it feels to me like they're kind of both minimalist in a similar way. It's just the newer stuff almost sounds more expansive. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And um, I guess um, what I meant by, like, cleaner, I don't mean, like, totally change the sound, you know? Just kind of, it's it's a different vibe, but very similar to each other. Just Just like a different part of me, I guess. That record has a bit more space um kind of kind of like more room in the track um as opposed to kind of honed in yeah it's if you think of it's almost like when you think about something like Kanye, when that is so minimalist and so few elements but it just sounds massive because it's given this kind of room to breathe and it sounds like it's taking place on a on a massive canvas yeah kanye is insane i love i love everything that he does i mean i mean i love his i love his music not everything that he does. <laughs> <laughs> did you watch his Rogan interview the other day? I did not. I did not. But I can imagine. I can imagine what it's like. <laughs> I mean, for for all this shit he gets about being a bit insane, there is something quite inspiring to see someone with that level of energy and conviction in their ideas just being allowed to speak. That's one thing that I think um, the album Yay is really underrated. I think that album is insanely good. And I think that it's also a really good window into the mind of somebody who isn't in a very good mental state. I think it's a really good album to focus on mental health. And, you know, like he, he says some crazy stuff, but that's, you know, he's like diagnosed bipolar. You know, sometimes he doesn't take his meds. And I, I think people don't really take stuff like that into account a lot of the time. Yeah. I mean, that is an interesting record. I think if you view it like you say there is a window into someone's mind, it's incredibly effective. I think it maybe just didn't land with the same impact of something like Pablo just because it's so brief. I mean, it's like 26 minutes or something, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's very raw. It's extremely raw, which is why I like it. I thought that it was very honest and I thought that it was brave in a way where he would talk about, you know, like today I thought about killing myself, you know, I thought about killing you too. And, you know, sometimes you have like intrusive thoughts and stuff like that, you know, especially that comes along with like uh, things like OCD, you know, bipolar. Yeah. So I thought that it was a very interesting record. I I liked it a lot, but it's, it's one of his, you know, he's so divisive. Like I, I remember a lot of people hated Yeezus. 
And I thought, I thought Yeezus, when it came out, I thought it was a masterpiece. I loved Yeezus. One of my favorite Kanye songs is, you know, the uh, track Blood on the Leaves on that. Yeah, yeah, of course. Blood on the Leaves. Yeah, it's insane. Beautiful that Nina, song. Nina Simone sample. Yeah, I mean, his samples are, are, you know, second to none. He always has the best samples, for sure. I just, I just heard the new, um, did you hear the new Busta Rhymes? I've not. Yeah, there's. I mean, I only heard the track. He he has a track with uh, Kendrick called "Look Over Your Shoulder," and the sample is insane. It's so it's such a good track, really good track. It reminds me of it reminds me of the uh, kind of classic Kanye sound. To take it back to your music a wee bit as well, when it comes to your relationship with structure and songwriting, how has that kind of changed and developed with time? Because I mean, I'm thinking of something like We Can Be Happy when the introduction of every new element in that song hits powerfully and, you know, it's this kind of wonderful slow build. Is that down to the structuring of it or is that something that's more just innate and you're kind of going with the flow of it? Oh, thanks. Um, it depends on, I, I kind of, I grab it, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like a track should be short when I'm writing it, you know, like a two-minute track. I feel like if I drag it out any longer, then, then it would um, overstay its welcome. Um, so sometimes I specifically go out just to write a, a short track because I feel like, yeah, I feel like if I do too much to it, then then it, it gets repetitive or boring. But sometimes, like, especially with the earlier stuff, like we can be happy. I, I really like a sense of adding in one element at a time. I used to do that a lot in the earlier stuff to where I would um, just introduce a new sound at a time, just like one more hi-hat and then one more synth line and then another piano melody until it just progresses and progresses into something so sometimes i like doing that and writing a, a long track yeah and we can be happy i just i just i was vibing out to it and uh i just kind of wanted to listen to that melody a lot so i kind of repeated it but added things here and there for it it's almost like hearing a song getting built in real time like you're gonna just build, like you say just building the layers out one by one that's a yeah no that's almost exactly how I approached it that's a good um analysis for sure because that was just something that I was I wasn't thinking about structure at all or I wasn't thinking that anybody would even hear it you know I didn't think anybody would listen to it I was just making it for myself that was a song that I wrote at two in the morning just like lying in bed you know yeah I never thought that anybody would hear it I just wanted to show a couple friends how long did it take you to write I wrote that one in a night I think the night before I wrote leave here I wrote those like back to back. And then I think I wrote like we were the last two people like a week later, just in, in, a, in a night. Yeah, that was a good week. Yeah, that was like the height of my productivity. Yeah, that was a good week. <laughs> yeah, solid week. When it came back to We Can Be Happy, did, did you ever play around with the ordering of it? Or was that very much like chronologically how it happened? Or did you play around with like moving different elements about and seeing how it would kind of work? Have you brought in another element in a different place, like brought it on earlier on and I knew that it needed a second part, you know, like a, almost like a chorus, except that because the track is so long, it's not, I kind of view the second part as the chorus, even though it's not technically not a chorus, it's just a different part. I had just like been messing around with that um, piano scale. I think that song is an E flat minor. I was um, kind of learning and playing around with different chords in that scale and just kind of doing different sounds that I had never previously written before. And I just fell in love with like the chords that that scale comes up with. So I, I wrote like the first part, you know, and then I was like, okay, well, I'll make like a second part, a chorus or something. 
And then I just played the second part and I was like, oh man, I love those chords as well. So I kind of just bounced back between those two parts, take, dropping some stuff out, adding them back in, adding something else. So yeah, it is like I was just writing it in real time, pretty much. Yeah, like a night of almost like continual discovery. Like you kind of just, kept, it seems like it, it just kept rolling. Like you kept having one thing that kind of sparked an idea and then it just snowballed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was just like, I would write something and I'd be like, oh, I like that. And then I'd sit down and play something. I'd be like, oh, I like that. And then throw that in there, you know. I mean, I'm fascinated by the, we've spoken, you know, we were chatting at the start about how you discovered house music and it was through the internet and it was quite an individual thing. Mm-hmm. Your writing process, obviously, is a very solitary thing as well, you know. 2am in the morning kind of building this entire song yeah when it comes to listening to music do you prefer it to be like a singular isolated experience listening on your own or do you prefer to listen with other people like in a communal way when i'm discovering music i like to listen to it i I mean i i like both but definitely like my friends like we always send each other links you know we're like dude you gotta hear this track it's amazing you know and that's where i get a lot of my music from is just like sharing with friends and stuff and uh, so I do prefer, I guess I prefer to listen to it for the first time on my own. It sucks now because shows aren't a thing anymore right now. But I used to go to shows all the time. You know, I used to play shows all the time. And that's also like how I discovered music is just by listening to the other bands that were playing that night. And that, that's another great way to discover music as well with, with other people. It, it kind of depends, but I would say I mostly kind of listen to I kind of just sit by myself and listen to music for hours on end. Do you ever, while you're speaking there about shows, do you ever have any revelations about your own music? You know, when you're seeing it performed and you're performing it in a communal space? Yeah, it's, 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 really, it's really cool because, especially for the older tracks that I've been listening to, you know, for years, like, and I've heard them 10 million times, you know, it, it feels like it's hard for me to get excited about those songs because I'm, I'm kind of over them. I've heard them too much and I want to do something new. But when you play them live, you know, for people, it really breathes life back into it. And then I get excited about it all over again because I see people respond to it that either wanted me to play it and they were there to see me play it or they have no idea who I am and this is them listening to it for the first time, you know. So it's, it's really cool to have that experience. Are there any tracks in your set that you think will never leave, that will never like be phased at the set, that will always be there? Um, well, there's, you know, like the most popular ones, like like We Were the Last Two People is probably always going to be in my set, you know. It's that, I guess that's like my creep. It's <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> it's just kind of like I'm, I'm doomed to play it forever, but it's an honor to, for people to like it and, you know, that it had gotten out there and people responded to it. So it's, it's crazy. I don't mind playing it at all. It's, it's not, it's a good feeling. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny you call it your creep because I think when it comes to a band's live set, it's nice to have those songs in there that have an importance to the story of the band and had such a big impact upon the trajectory at the time. Yeah, exactly. I'm always trying to, to keep people excited about you know, the new stuff. And I hope that they like it just as much as the old stuff. And I mean, it sounds like what you say at the start of this, you know, with pushing it in these new fresh directions, as long as you keep a hold of what's true to you and at your core, you can kind of do what you want and just bring it, take it wherever and people will kind of still resonate with it. Yeah, I think you have to not be afraid to um, to step out a little bit and take take some risks. 
there's definitely some tracks on here that are not my standard stuff, but it's there's a lot of stuff there for everyone, I think. You know, like not in a sellout kind of way. It's just me, still me being me, you know. I think people will still realize that I'm, it's still the same pool boy, just kind of taking it in different directions on, on some tracks. Have you taken more or less risks as you've like progressed as an artist and kind of gotten further on in your, your path of music? I'm taking more risks now, actually. I think it's different because back when I started doing it, I didn't think anybody would ever listen to it. I would be comfortable with making like the weirdest track ever, putting it out there and be like, oh, this is kind of cool. I like this. Now I definitely put a lot more thought into it because I want it to be the best that it can be as opposed to just just writing something and throwing it out there like I used to do. I am taking more risks in the sense that I'm working with a lot of different artists from different backgrounds, experimenting with different genres and stuff like that. So it's kind of a, a give and take. I'm experimenting in some ways and playing it safe in other ways. I mean, it sounds like you become like what you were saying there, but putting so much more thought into what comes out. Have you almost become a little bit of a, a harsher critic of your own songwriting and stuff as time's kind of gone on? It's something that worries me a little bit more, but because I'm in a better place mentally and I'm doing well, that I'm, I'm not as harsh on myself about that kind of stuff. It's something that I think about, you know, like when I put something new out, uh, of course you want people to like it. But at the same time, I know that you can't please everyone. As long as I'm happy with it and I'm proud of it, then I'm okay with putting it out there. And, you know, we'll just see what happens. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.